Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Asband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Yoma, daf Mem Aleph, page 41. So our daf, really, the first Amud, and maybe even more until Amud Bet, is discussing a case that is brought in parallel to the to the Goral, to the lot choosing that happens with the goats, that is actually not connected, as far as I can tell anyway, it is not con- connected to Yom Kippur. It is connected just simply to the fact of when you have to choose and designate one korban to one thing and another to another. And specifically, it's talking about a pair of birds, where one bird is going to be sacrificed as a korban chatat, and the other is going to be a korban ola. The most known case of this, I guess, would be the birds that are brought uh, in the case of a sota, which actually is read on the Torah portion of Naso, which was read earlier today, for those of you who are hearing this when we release it on Saturday night. And there's several different ways this can come about, but one of the main ways that is discussed here towards the bottom of, of Ahmed Aleph is when somebody is using birds as their korban, because frankly, birds are less costly. So somebody who cannot afford to bring, you know, cow or sheep or goats could easily choose to bring a korban from birds. And then the question then is, you know, how do you, de- when you designate one for one for the korban chatat and one for the korban ola, like, where does that leave you? Because in contrast to the whole lot situation of Yom Kippur, where the issue is that, yes, one goes as a korban chatat and one goes to Azazel, but the whole nation is kind of riding on this, right? Like, it's a big deal uh, portion, and this is what we've been talking about. Is it essential to the avoda or not essential? But either way, that's that's a legitimate question to be asking, right? It is a significant component of the day of Yom Kippur. We have someone, so we have someone who's bringing a korban chatat, which is basically it's an it's kind of an apology korban, right? Meaning it's something for which he could have been chayav much more seriously. But in because he's done his action, especially and we we talked about this extensively throughout Masach Shabbat, right? If somebody bring uh, violate Shabbat, for example, but Bashogig, right? Is there the violation is not intentional, right? As opposed to someone who is, I don't know, out of spite or with intent comes to specifically violate, right? So the 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 action is done Bashogig, and now he's going to bring a korban chatat in, as I say, as a well, it's as an atonement, as an apology. But the idea is that then he's going to bring a bird, a pair of birds, right? What if he doesn't have so much money? How how does he manage to bring two carbonot? So he, and then the question is, of course, meaning, I want to I want to note, um, your Dana. I guess we should say we're gonna. I don't think we're gonna come to Kinim, are we? Because it's just Mishnah, right? Uh, it is, but I. I think it is learned as part of Daf Yumi. I'm actually not sure. We'll find out. Okay, so we'll, we're going to check on this. But I, so I always think Masachet Kini. When I when I didn't know anything at all, I used to think this was about lice, but it's not. Kini mean like Kansipur. It means from nests, right? It's talking about the korbanot of birds, and it happens to be a lot of math in Masachet Kini. Um, but so here, this question of what korban is the what korban is the person going to bring? How is he going to pay for it? And what happens if, for example, if he comes into money along the way, can he get a different korban? Right. So it becomes more complicated. And this Ahmed Aleph is complicated in dealing with these specific permutations of what kind of korban, what would the nature of the case be where he would be bring, bringing a bird offering? And then as we turn on to Ahmed Bet, 
The Gemara says, well, here, and it becomes even more complicated, which I didn't realize until I was learning it now, right? A korban made from birds cannot be redeemed. Meaning if you have, let's say, a cow that you're bringing as a korban, and the cow gets a moon, right? It gets some kind of blemish. And now that cow is invalidated for a korban, but it's still a cow, right? That's still a, a well, you know, a valuable piece of property, except for that it's because it's, de- you know, it's designated for the Beit HaMikdash, you can't just use it, but perhaps, depending on the circumstances, you could redeem the value of it and then, you know, reuse that money, let's say, for a different korban that doesn't have a moon. But be- because there's no pigeon for a bird, and there's no pigeon for a bird because throughout the Torah, when it talks about pigeon, it's not ever talking about a bird. So because it's never used, you know, because it's never discussed about the birds, the birds then cannot be redeemed, which means that if you end up with a bird that is designated for the one thing, and for whatever reason it cannot be offered for that thing, your bird basically goes, you know, it's it, it's lost, right? It, meaning it's disqualified as a korban, but you would then have to be go and purchase a new bird, except for what happens if, again, this is our poor person, he has no money to buy a new one. So all of this is brought, really, in the case of somebody who is bringing a pair of birds, right? He takes a pair, he consecrates the pair, and then what happens when one uh, I, I don't want to I don't want to say this wrong I I find myself a little confused from it so so he brings a korban chatat but now that bird is no longer viable meaning it's disqualified so he and he can't it's not redeemed right because there's no redemption for the bird so now amar of papa so according to Rav Papa, right, this is all going back to the discussion of Brighta from, from Ahmed Aleph, really. This is, we're, he, says, he says, according to Rav Papa, we're talking about just one bird, not a pair of birds, where one is selected for Chatat and one is selected for Ola. Rather, he purchases one bird for his Korban Ola, which is just one burnt offering. And then he should mosif umivi chovato. Then he should add more money and bring the chova, meaning the korban chatat, from the money that he was going to use for the second bird. So again, I, I feel like I've talked in circles, and I'm a little bit again still a little confused what's happening here. I'm, I hope you're not as confused as I am. No, it's not that bad. Um, if he purchases the korban ola, then he can add more money, right, for the korban chatat with with the korban ola but then the high ola and then the korban the bird that was supposed to be the korban ola becomes a nidava a free will offering but the reverse is not as simple to effect if he bought a korban chatat he can't add to that from the money that he was going to use to purchase a korban ola because the sin offering is already designated to be a sin offering. So adding to it from a burnt offering, for some reason, is not going to be as effective. And then, so this bird, the one that was, you know, designated to be a Quran Khatat, but it doesn't, but it, um, but it's become disqualified, it will end up, um, it says here, Khatat It ends up being left to die, meaning as opposed to being offered as a sin offering. And he has to figure out a different way to atone via sin offering. So, 
I would say here that the reason this is complicated for me is because I am not an expert in the korbanot of the birds, meaning I don't think that the Gemara is actually that difficult. Um, and I encourage everybody to just simply to read through it, and you'll see, you know, we're talking about two animals, meaning, again, one bird for korban ola, another bird for korban chatat, and the permutations of what happens if something goes wrong with one of these one of these birds, and how best to make sure that you can, you know, manage to bring your obligations, right, one as an ola and one as a chatat, without being left high and dry, that you have no korban and you have no money left. I would agree with you. I think what was confusing about this is, unlike many of the other Corbanot, I feel like the bird Corbanot are ones I'm the least familiar with, which I'm not quite sure why. Um, but I think this whole up again, gets into interesting questions about sort of like, when does designation happen? And bringing it back to Yom Kippur, you know, that when you have this thing with the lottery, right? Like, that kind of changes the designation, which might be different than if you're purchasing or might be different if you do a verbal designation. So I look, what I took out of this is, is that the lottery, the goral is just a different form of designation. I think that for the birds, I think that's true. I think that for the Yom Kippur, it's not optional, right? Meaning you can't just say, oh, let's, let's choose by lots. Oh, let's choose by the Kohen deciding. Right. The Kohen can't decide Yom Kippur. I'm not sure that he can't decide the birds. I think he can decide the birds. Right. I agree with you. But I, I think it's more just seeing all the different ways designation can happen. And let me be a little clearer. And I think what's interesting to see on the DAF is I think the Amoraim are trying to sort of find an overall framing. But I think it kind of turns out in the end that like each case is actually very specific and very different. There isn't an underlying principle here. They're trying to work through one. But I'm not sure we really land on one in the end. Well, I think the thing that the place that we land, and I think this is important and perhaps not no perhaps about it. I should have mentioned it at the beginning. You know, we were talking already yesterday about the question of of whether the consecration of the Korban comes via the lottery. And we'd already said no, but this is the proof that it does not. Meaning these birds are not consecrated by virtue of a lottery designation. They're only consecrated once they are really designated as a korban. Once they're designated as a korban, meaning you've set something aside as a korban, then it becomes kodesh. But it's not because it's a lottery. It's because it's a korban, right? So the idea that the lottery would make things sanctified in, in Yom Kippur is also rejected. Yeah, I think that's a, a great way to sum it up. I'm going to move on to the Mishnah here, which is going to give some more details about what happens with um, the uh, the Azazel and and you know sort of the next step here in the second vidui that the Kohen Gadol is going to do. So the Kohen Gadol is going to tie this stripe of red wool onto the head of you know the goat that's going to go the the Azazel. And he puts that goat opposite where it's going to go, and that's going to be our uh, the the gates of Nicanor, which we talked about before which is in the eastern part of the courtyard. And then the, the goat that's going to be shechted, that's going to be given as a chatas, that's going to be put opposite where it's going to actually be uh, slaughtered. And then he goes back to the cow a second time. And now again, he does this process of smicha and vidui. And this is the second vidui that the Kohen Gadol does. 
Ana Hashem, right? And it's going to be exactly the same language, except he's just going to add one phrase here, right? So here, before the vidui was just for him and his household, he adds now that the vidui is also for all the Kohanim. Ana Hashem, Kaperna the Hainorim, right? So he says that's the same formulation of the Vidui that he said before. The Hainoni Maharab, and then the people answer after him. So, sort of as we get through the Avoda, we sort of keep layering these Vidois, and we're going to see there's another Vidui that's going to happen again later. And you know, sort of more people get included in the vidui itself, which I thought always have thought was an interesting part of the avoda. Um, what I want to focus on here, I mean, it's a pretty straightforward uh, mishnah, but this whole issue of the of the wool, right? And that basically, there's going to now be a lot of discussion about the wool that's used with the azazel with this particular coat, and the wool that's used with the para aduma. And again, this was one of those things that like. I think I sort of knew in the back of my head that there was this, you know, the red wool with the paraduma, but never really thought about it before so much. And then this, you know, daf really got into it a lot. So what's also interesting here is, is that one of the themes that we see in the staff is, you know, we've always talked about how it's interesting to see the Amoraim of Babel talk about some of the processes and avodas of what took place in the Beit HaMikdash when they're really hundreds of years away from it. And here we see that particularly with something that happened with the Paraduma, there's a lot of discussion of like an Amor comes and says, I heard this, but I'm not totally sure what it meant. Um, and maybe this makes more sense with the Paraduma because the Paraduma was done even less frequently, right? At least the Avoda of Yom Kippur was done every year. So you sort of see on this page a little bit of a breakdown of the Misora of like, they know there's something there, they have the words, but they can't totally explain it. So Rabbi Yitzchak says, right, he learned two things. You know, there was a distinction made between these two strips of wool. One about the paraduma and one about the, you know, azazel. One required a minimum amount, like it actually needed to be a certain size, and one didn't require. But I don't know which one is which. So again, I think, again, it makes sense that this happens around the paraduma. I'm a Rav Yosef, Nechezi Anan. So he says, let's see if we can figure this out, right? Rav Yosef says, let's see if we can figure this out. So with the Azazel one, it, you have to divide it actually um, into two parts. And that's going to be a Mishnah later on, uh, that it needs to be divided around its head. And then it's sort of like tied with the rock, right? So it really needs to be tied a particular way. Right. So maybe that's the one that needs a certain measurement so that you have enough wool to do all of those things you need to do with it. But with the paraduma, it doesn't require a division, so you don't need a minimum amount. Right. Maki left Rami Bar Hama. So Rami Bar Hama objects to this. The Paranami by Koban. Right. That maybe, no, it also should require the paraduma one. It actually doesn't require shear in terms of length, but it's more in terms of weight. White Amar Le Rabba Sarabba says to Rami Babrahama, Kobetani he. Right. So he says that in terms of this, whether or not it needs to have a weight, 
is actually a dispute between the Tanaim, which the Gemara will get into later. I'm not going to read that piece today, right? Then they're going to bring a different challenge to Rav Yosef's, uh, to what Rav Yosef said that, you know, uh, you know, that maybe it needed to be divided. Um, and that's why the, the Paradum, the, the Azazel one needed uh, Shior, right? And so it says, right? The, the strip of the Paraduma didn't need a division. Itabe Abai, so Abai challenges this. Ketzad Huotzeh, right? Because he's bringing um, another Mishnah, and this is the Mishnah from Para, which explains all the Halachota Paraduma. Mishnah Gimel, uh, uh, sorry, chapter, uh, uh, chapter, Parak Gimel, uh, Mishnah Yud Aleph, uh, uh, Mishnah 11, right? That says, Ketzad Huotzeh, how does he do that, right? With the, because you have to take the cedar wood and the hyssop. And you take the red this red wool and you're going to put it all together in the fire. He has to wrap the cedar wood and the hyssop in the leftovers of the strip. So if there's leftovers, it means that it must have been cut in two. So they say, no, it means he just wraps it. He doesn't actually have to, to cut it up. So I'm not going to read the rest of this. And it's going to go through a few more permutations of, you know, what exactly was the, the weight or the size of all these different types of red strips. And again, that there's some confusion over it. But what I really just want to point out is when you read the rest of the stuff, I think this issue of confusion was very striking to me, that this was a particular type of avoda around the paraduma where it still it wasn't so clear cut to the um, to the Amorayim. And also, you know, sort of seeing a lot of these parallels that they're trying to draw out between the um uh, you know, the, the red wool that we have to use with the Azazel, the red wool of the Paraduma. And I think that sort of makes sense that both of them have, uh, involve sort of this element of the red wool because both of these are abodot that involve like transformation, right? Like the Paraduma is taking you from Tame to Tahor and the Azazel is part of the process of taking you from like not being atoned to being atoned. So I have to think more about what that means. Maybe this will become clearer as we, um, you know, continue to read the Avoda here, but there's something that's there that I, I you know, it, not, it, it, I don't have enough time with the DAP, but something that I need to think a little bit more about. So here's what I'm struck by. You know, I would think that the discussion of, the, of Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur being the day that it is, everything could focus on Yom Kippur, right? And, and don't people know everything about Yom Kippur because, even in the Nusach, even in the liturgy today, we still recount the Avodah and things like that. But I'm struck by the fact that the Ahmed Aleph is dedicated to a comparison to bird, Karbanot, and the lottery. And Ahmed Bet, you know, is really dedicated to the comparison to the Paraduma, meaning let's take these elements of Yom Kippur that I would think that we know about because of Yom Kippur. Uh, meaning if we would go to Kinim and find a comparison to Yom Kippur, that would make sense to me. If we would go to talk about the Paraduma and find a comparison to Yom Kippur, that would make sense to me. But here Yom Kippur is being, let's ex let's go find it out about Yom Kippur from the comparison to the birds and the comparison to the Paraduma, which I find to be, I, I mean, maybe I'm reading too much in, but it, it seems to me that there's something you know, as if there's a gap in the knowledge about Yom Kippur so that we need to explore it in the context of the other topics. And I'm something about it just surprises me that it's not, you know, that it's not already known and that the way to the way to knowledge is via comparison to things that I think are less known than Yom Kippur itself. 
Well, I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. I think what we're maybe seeing on the staff is some of this really was lost and not understood. And so by comparing it to other Avodot, again, I think part of what the MRIM are trying to do is say, what's the overall framework for a lot of these, for the Avodah? Like, can we say, if it's true at this Avodah, it needs to be true in this Avodah? Um, and I, you know, and again, I think it also explains, like, they're really hundreds of years away from this ever having been done, and they're not even living in Israel. So it shows a great love and devotion to the Beit HaMikdash and the Avodah, but there's also something a little painful as we read it as well. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about the staff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.